Hello and welcome to Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is a specialist drum shop started by drummers for drummers. With two locations, Glasgow and Leeds, we stock everything you need for your drumming journey. I'm Chris, the shop manager for Glasgow. And I'm Adam, the social media manager for the Drummers Only brand. This podcast will be interviews, reviews and much, much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. So like, subscribe and feel free to get involved. Hello everybody. Hi there everyone, how are we all doing? Uh, very well, how are you? Yes, good. Yes, so good. this is Drummers Only Radio episode 30. Yes. Uh, and we got to talk to our very own Gordon Ferguson. Yes, we did. What a delightful conversation Yes, the man who has once been described as a human Swiss army knife. <laughs> because he can do literally everything. Literally everything. And we spoke to Gordon um, quite in depthly. He, he's um, been a live sound engineer and bass player uh, for quite some time. Yes. So we had quite a, a quite a good chat about all th- all those things, and you know, put the world to rights over some drum problems and what yeah, to, what to do and absolutely. Different. So and this you're going to hear about mic placements, you know, the do's and don'ts, mm-hmm. um, what it's like being a bass player working in a drum shop as Indeed. well, yeah. uh, and all sorts of things uh, such as that. So uh, yes. yes, do enjoy uh, episode thirty with our Gordon. Yes, enjoy. Thanks, guys. Hello. Hi there. Drummers Hello. only radio. <laughs> <laughs> episode 30 30 is it 30 already yep wow episode That's, 30 which it's, is it's went by so quickly yeah it's over 52 weeks yeah and who have we got on today we have our very own gordon gordon Hi, ferguson gordon. is with us hello how are you good not bad thank you for coming on very welcome How's, i mean i, I was it, here anyway so <laughs> <feel easy. laughs> nothing else to do yeah. is this like your first podcast experience uh first well first, first podcasting experience of right. being behind yeah, the okay. podcast. But yeah, I have I have done podcasts before, yeah. but not not in front of the cameras. Okay, I've recorded right. them basically. Okay, yeah. right. Um, we thought we would talk to Gordon because Gordon has a variety of experience in areas that we don't. Um, primarily, uh, live engineering mm-hmm. and also bass playing, which both are critical to a live drummer's performance. Yes, absolutely. So, um, as much as drummers like to slate bass players, we do need them. Yeah, they're kind of integral. The band, I, I can attest that a band sounds pretty lousy without them because I've had a, as the Gig Story podcast would let you know, I've had a horrible bass player story. So, <laughs> yes. uh, I would have had to play basically a whole set without one. So, here's a question just off the bat: yes. Have you guys played a gig together? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's how we met. Is that oh, uh, yeah. Chris such was... a meet cute? <laughs> <laughs> Chris ended up depping for my wedding band many, many years ago. Two thousand and six. Yeah. I think we actually got you to debt before I'd even met you. Yeah, you? what happened is you came in <laughs> looking for Paul. Yeah, that's right. And Paul wasn't there, that's so right. I joked a gig. Uh, uh, I was just I like, I'll, I'll do it. I was the, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I was perhaps the keenest man in Keeneland. Yeah, wow. wow. That was amazing. Yeah, yeah. You, you came in and did the gig and you were like, you're like oh, next week we can bring my recorder and record <laughs> the gig and all that. And it's like, Chris, this is a wedding. Uh, we're, 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 no, I was so, I was like <laughs> my first ever pro gig. <clears throat> He didn't it, tell us that though. No, I didn't. No, of course, but he kept I, it I, I learned cool. sixty songs like a week. Like I hadn't done anything like that before, and, and I was expecting, you know, ten songs or something. And Gordon sent me a set list, and I was like, okay. It was great. He learned them all so well, um, but we were kind of everything was so fast. It was Aye. like the whole sixty songs were gone, like the first half. I'm like, oh Aye. my god, <laughs> <laughs> what do we do? <laughs> Chris, calm was, down, calm down. There was a there was a chocolate. I remember there was a chocolate fountain. Oh yeah, that was the gig. It was the Bothwell Bridge Hotel. Oh, no way, oh, that's my the Erskine. Oh, Erskine, Erskine Bridge Hotel, yeah, sorry. Bridge Erskine Bridge Hotel. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I got my drum set up in about 15 and a half seconds. <laughs> is it true, right, because Chris mm-hmm. has told me that story before, but I've never heard it from your perspective. Okay. Is it true that there was one, it may have even been this gig, where you were singing, playing bass, and operating the lights, and telling Chris what the songs were all oh, at yeah. the same time. Uh, yeah. that was, was that a fairly like, common occurrence? That was a fairly common occurrence, I think. <laughs> yeah, I did three <laughs> gigs with that band. There was a, there was a there was a run of gigs. Three were um, your 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 usual depth at the time wasn't available, and um, Ben hadn't started. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I filled in for three gigs, and it was something to behold. Yeah, it was something to behold to watch because it was like some sort of tap dance, bass playing, singing, directing, magic. Beautiful. It was. It was like. How the hell is one human doing all that? Yeah. I think I just, I don't know how I ended up doing it. I think I just always wanted to kind of better things, I suppose. And at the time, you wouldn't get anyone else in to do sound and stuff yeah, and all that. Yeah. So I was always, I always treated it as 
more of a kind of hobby than mm-hmm. a job a mm-hmm. lot of the time because yeah. I just kept buying more gear and more and more <laughs> PA gear and more and more lighting gear and I kept changing things and just it's like my, my motto in life is there's always a better way uh, yeah. it's just like kind of well you kind of made yourself going. indispensable eh? yeah no yeah. one else not could intentionally do it. but yeah aye, pretty aye, much aye, what happened like, yeah aye, like no and I, I get it when you buy the gear mm-hmm. you work it yeah like I work the mixer yeah yeah when we play because it's mine and it won't happen if someone else does it and you know what you're doing with it as well well (laughs) (laughs) i could turn it on i can plug (laughs) some mics in but yeah it just always came from that and i always i I, I kind of seen so many wedding bands in the past and that and it's just like the four flashy lights Mm. with the pure Mm -hmm. epifit kind of thing and all that i always hated that and i was like no it's got to be something a bit more a bit more fancy than that a bit of a show a bit classier yeah Yeah. and it just ended up I, I just I would spend all the money I made buying more PE gear, buying more lights, and just kind of keep on going. So yeah, I ended up with uh, like a crazy amount of stuff that you would never usually get with a yeah, wedding band. So but then it sounds great. So yeah. that's the that's the flip side. Did you let the drummers that were playing like make their own drums or <clears> do that for them? Uh, they oh, they would generally make their own drums. Yeah, they were t- we didn't fully make up the kit a lot of the time. Mm. Most of the venues we did were kind of smaller and that, so you'd get like a kick making an overhead pretty much most of the time if if if, if that you know mm-hmm. um but generally i had to set up all the pa lights that kind of thing yeah you know? it's a lot to do and what an hour yeah uh-huh yeah there was, it was touch and go sometimes yeah uh-huh. i'd get to the point whereby it was like just ready to start the first dance and i hadn't even plugged in my bass and i'm like yeah. <laughs> okay uh-huh. panic oh, yeah, bass yeah. was kind of always like an afterthought yeah, kind yeah. of thing, you know, everything tuned and yeah. you know yeah. all that stuff, yeah. and then the rest of the band are kind of like, mm. yeah, hurry up, Gordon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you get you're it. just like, yeah, cool. <laughs> just set up the whole stage for you. That's fine. It got quicker and quicker when the guys in the band obviously got better at doing stuff. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty daunting okay. prospect. When yeah. you're setting up the PA, do you like help or do you like to get it all done yourself? Because you know, because I know from my experience, if I've tried to help someone set up a PA, they they have a certain process they go through. Oh no, I like help. Yeah. You like help. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Especially carrying things in, but you know the yeah. actual kind of setup of it. Um, it depends who's doing it. You know, if mm. if, they, if they don't know the setup, then I prefer to do it myself because mm-hmm. it is quite a kind of not a complex setup we've got, um, but it is quite. Um, there's a specific way everything has to go, right? And the way it all gets plugged in and stuff. If you don't do it properly, you can get a knack of things pretty easily. So. I remember one of the first gigs we did. There was specific. Uh, XLR cables, they were like six pin or something uh-huh. on some mics, and it was like, I'll do, I'll do those. It was a, a microphone you had, and it was. Oh, that's the wee, yeah, the wee, the wee capture. And I, I was like, always yeah. oh, terrified the break nose, because mm. if you put them in, like, like Yamaha have one on the MS forty five. If you put them in the wrong way, they're gubbed, man. And which you've done, I have done. <laughs> So yeah, <laughs> um, but it's like setting your drums up. <laughs> yeah. So if, like you know, I don't let anybody set my drums up. Except me, your wife. Well, I, because she's a drummer. Yeah. But I wouldn't let a guitar player do it in the same way that I probably wouldn't set up guitar gear. I would plug it in the wrong channel or I would, mm. you know, it's the same principle, I would assume. I mean, I've set up drums many times at <laughs> gigs. Uh-huh. So um, I'm used to that as well. Uh, so yeah. there you go. Yeah, but it's the same, pro- you know, like at the end of the night, I don't, like the, by the time you've explained how to pack your hardware bag, you've packed your hardware bag. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, like, you get it with depths if they come in and they want to help. Yeah. Like, it's cool. Well, yeah. I just get it, you know. And it's not in like a, like a standoffish way. It's no. just like you have a, a set way of doing it. Of course you do, because so, yeah. it'll get you out the door quicker. Yeah, true. You know, it's like all about getting out the door. Yeah, you know, as quickly as you can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so we we thought we would put like just a bunch of questions together. Eh? Do you want to start, man? Have you got some stuff I that mean, we can start yeah, with? Talking of that, when you're setting up stuff, what? As we as drummers, if we're turning up to a venue, we're not lucky enough to have a Gordon Ferguson. To um to make us sound beautiful and magical, um we have to set up a lot of it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So and obviously as a drummer, getting handed a case of microphones can sometimes be a bit kind of a daunting process. You're just kind of going through muscle memory and all that. So what are the, I guess what are some of the mistakes you've noticed of a drummer a making up their setup and b what are things that they can do to improve it? Uh, it's, it's kind of a difficult one. I mean, drummers generally, I think they, they have this conception that they have to have something to kick drum and something to snare, which is it's never really the case. I mean, depending on the venue you're in, 
you need a kick drum, Mike, pretty mm-hmm. much universally, if you want a bit more oomph out front. Snares generally are the loudest thing ever in the room. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen so many Especially folks... Especially with Big Dave sitting it. ...making up a snare drum. I'm just like, what? There's absolutely no need for that most of the time, you know, mm-hmm. and then crank it up through the PA, and you're like, no, because you're just making it harder for your, whoever's doing sound out front, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of the time. If the room, if the room uh, warrants it, then great, you know, but I would always be more... Uh, more inclined, more kick drum, and I very, have very, very little snare mm-hmm. through the system most of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're generally always fighting against drums in most rooms. Mm. Right. So um, it, it, it's a different situation if you're using in-ears a lot. You would want like everything mic'd up or best you can. I use like maybe something like EAD10, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing would be ideal. But um, I, I don't. I, Did you learn that yeah. the hard way? Or, or was it one, um, something you kind of already knew going into setting up mics yeah, and stuff? Something I kind of already knew, you know. I think um, most most gigs when I was doing sound from the stage, it would just be a kick mic. Right. And occasionally over, an overhead. We never had any years or anything like that yeah, yeah. back in the day. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just it was a case of that. If it was a marquee or something like that, you could maybe go to town a bit yeah. because you're, the, the drums are so dead anyway. Right. So mm. it's always good to have as many mics in the kit as you can, get as much out front as you can. But that's the only situation I would say that is really, really important to have that snare mic yeah. and everything mic'd up if you can. Right. Um, that, yeah. Just kind of going off that, like, so you even mentioned it there about mm-hmm. drums are different and depending on the room or like if it's a marquee, like, do you have a, if you walk into a venue and you're like, you look at the room, you do you kind of know how you're going to make the kit? instinctively from that or do you kind of try things and see what works well, it's kind of different now because the, the band i work with now killer city sound they're all in in ears so everything kind of gets mic'd up the same way pretty right. much every time because it's pretty pretty consistent and they kind of do all their own in ears and stuff so we generally always get mic'd up um as normal um so that that's pretty sort of standard now but if if, if i was making up a band from scratch yeah i would i would very much do it based on the room you know i'd see right. what i actually need mm-hmm for the room, you know, and generally nine times out of ten, a kick mic's probably all, all you need, need. depending on the room, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're always fighting against drums. It's a, it's a strange thing. You're always kind of trying to balance things to the drums. It's never, yeah. you, it's very rare you need the drums louder. I can't yeah. imagine drummers yeah. help either because they no. probably yeah. don't think about it. I certainly didn't yeah. for no, the no. longest time. Didn't mm. even, it didn't even occur to me that I was the loudest person on stage. Oh, yeah. Because guitarists have a volume button. Yeah. So it can go louder. So just to me, yeah. it, it always felt like that, you know, really juvenile battle between guitarists and drummers. Mm-hmm. But I would never occur to me that it's just the acoustic sound of my instrument. Yeah. It's like you, you can always turn the drums up when it's mic You can't ever turn mm. it down. Yeah. You know, so you're always pushing everything else to try and compensate. Not compensate, but to try and actually work alongside the drums to balance it off, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, how many yeah. times have we done events and here and you've like, yeah, I've just pulled the, the snare right out. Oh, yeah. That's it's right. just it's same in the old shop as well. Yeah. Uh, it would generally be, you'd have a rider and stuff. You would make everything up for like, you know, what have you, but out front, you'd probably just hear on track, kick drum and maybe a little bit overhead. I think as well, it. digital gear got so good as well Yeah, to help things like that. You know, you're talking about making up a band from scratch. Yeah. There'll probably be some sort of preset saved for certain rooms. Mm-hmm. You know, so he just hits a button and it's all done. Sort of, you know? yeah. yeah, I know. I certainly sort of have that. Not specifically to that room, but you've got a kind of general, kind of like, like setting that you kind of work on, mm-hmm. so you know kind of where it's sitting at, mm-hmm. and then you can kind of tweak around it. We generally, um, we never sound check anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually there. Just to, to explain about about the band I work with, Killer City Sound. I am the sound and lighting guy, I don't play anything. Mm-hmm. So that's given me a lot more freedom to actually go and go out front and operate lights a bit better and stuff and all that. So that's been mm-hmm. that's all been a really good thing. It's a kind of a, a selling point of the band that you actually get someone dedicated mm-hmm. to make it look and sound as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of that, it, it's negated things. for th- We don't need a sound check anymore because mm-hmm. it's pretty much not ready to go, but I can always sort of tweak it sometimes. Yeah. It's a bit like first dance is a sound check you know and it's yeah. kind of like no panic sometimes yeah. but yeah generally it's it's pretty much the other abouts and it's a yeah. case of just kind of tweaking it for the room or what have you you know so i guess it helps that you're always working with the same people more often than not as well yeah most know. of the time doing the same people yeah you get depths and things like that obviously yeah who aren't quite as used to the way of working and aren't used to any years and things like that but yeah, yeah. You kind of get used to it pretty quickly, so yeah. I think as well having someone there to actually do your in-ear sound and actually kind of 
tweak it the way you want it rather than you just kind of fighting against. Like, well, try to make, try to get everything yeah. as loud as possible. Don't treat because uh, Gordon did a gig that we played last year. It was Gail, her best friend got married. Mm-hmm. So we booked Gordon because Gail was like, can we can we get Gordon for the gig? Mm-hmm. Because, it, you know, that's a real special friend. So we wanted to make it something else. It was a great treat to not have to think about any of that crap. Mm, yeah. Because I'm not that. I, I'm My knowledge of that stuff's less than rudimentary. Yeah. So it just like can I get a little bit more bass and it's just there and it's just mm. it's in stereo and it's mm. it's it's you know there's there's space in the sound because he's managed to put enough EQ in it he just knows what to do so yeah like, yeah this is great yeah. you know yeah it was always a kind of scary one when I was playing as well and you're having to play a first dance that you hadn't ever played before with yeah. the band you know and yeah, you yeah. just kind of learned it in the van the way to the gig that kind of thing <laughs> and then you've just had to say everyone up and then something's maybe going wrong or that. it's just a it's just oh, it's horrendous panic right? stations yeah, you have no idea how it's going to sound out front it's, it's horrendous and I think as well I think if you're actually playing in the band and you're doing sound you, you never hear how the sound evolves throughout the night no. you, you just kind of get it set at a level at the start mm. but as the night goes on things get louder things change yeah. you know the crowd gets drunker and everything yeah. you know yeah. I think it helps to have someone that actually like will change based on the the environment and what oh, actually happens. Of course, you, know? The, you know, you start the second half twenty dB louder than you started yeah. the first half. Yeah, totally. you know, just because of the natural energy is going to yeah, change. Crowd's you know, into it, so I, therefore you you're know. into it. You end up playing a bit louder. Yeah. Totally, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, you've been at the uh, the sweet buffet as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> hundreds of sugar, and that's you. Did you? So you played bass, yeah. and did sound first. What came mm-hmm. first? Uh, piano, actually. <laughs> played, what? Played piano before I played bass. Um, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I, I started playing piano when I was like four or something wow. crazy like that. And that was kind of what I did at school and everything. But at school, uh, I, I was always the guy sitting in the the um, the music room cupboard, which is, where, <laughs> which is where the one computer, it was like an old Mac classic or something oh, like that. They had. Wow. That was like the thing back then, try to use Cubase and try to learn that and, and uh, when we got to the point where you could actually record audio on it it was like wow mm. this is amazing yeah so you're just sitting there like using Cubase and recording stuff and all that and I would just I would just sit there for hours and hours mm. after school just working it all just out. working it all out yeah. and stuff you know it's completely changed now how it all works and everything yeah. I'd probably be scared to go back to it but yeah that was always something I always did when I was at school and that as well so mm. sound was always a thing live sound I actually got into much much later um, oh really yeah it wasn't yeah. something I think it was actually not so much just the wedding band, but just in general, because I could work a mixing desk, yeah. I would end up behind the mixing desk, mm. having yeah, to do yeah. sound, that kind of thing, you know, so. So you kind of naturally kind of just went into Yeah, almost. and then it was, yeah. from there, it was just kind of trial and error and, and work it out as, as I went along, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was kind of so I think trial and error is a big theme for a lot yeah. of that um, scene, if you like, you mm-hmm. know, just yeah. figuring it all out. Certainly I can empathise with that mm-hmm. completely, yeah. you know, just trying to figure it out. Um, is really daunting to have to do the two did you ever get is it something you get used to or is it something you got used to because I, I don't think I'm ever used to it. I don't think I'll ever get used to it I did get used to it I think I got used to it quite quickly because at first um, when I was just playing bass the lights were just doing the flashy thing right. um, sound wise you could kind of tweak things and stuff but you never you never really knew yeah. what it sounded like at front but I think it caused muscle memory and you're just you're so used to playing the same tunes over and over again. I think I could mm. play like Brown Eyed Girl in my sleep quite easily. <laughs> and on, on, on yeah. and any instrument, including right. drums, probably. <laughs> um, that I think, I think as well, it just kind of, I, I think, I think it just gave me something to do, as mm. well. It kind of it made it a bit more exciting for me rather than just turn up and playing bass. I mean, I love just I love now kind of going and doing depths for bands playing bass where I'm just playing bass. Yeah. Because it's just like, you see everything that's going on and everyone's running about trying to fix things and all that. I'm like, oh, right, okay, I'll just plug my bass in. That's me, I'm ready yeah, to go. Yeah, you know? don't have to worry about that. Stuff. Um, yeah. And it's great to just kind of like think back to the old like old tunes and all that sort of stuff. And, oh, yeah. I mean, I played that once. I think I can uh, probably do it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then you're just kind of winging it and stuff Pull like that. The, the sort of grey matter. And but it is there. It's still, uh, it's still there, you know. So um, it's some, it is good to to be able to do that now and not have to worry about that sort of side mm. of it. But then I enjoy doing just, I think, I think I have done gigs with Kelly kind of City where I've played bass, lights and sound, but it's not set up for it anymore. And it's, uh, it's, okay. it's pretty, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't, yeah, cause it's I, hard work. <laughs> I think you should probably explain that when Gordon did the lights, it was a foot controller. Yeah. A Behringer yeah. foot controller, so, where you mini laptop. But 
but now it's all it's all a laptop or iPad. Yeah, it's all it's all it's all touch screen driven and stuff. Uh, now, so. so it's like wow. you need f- three or four hands to do it the same way now. Yeah. Um, it's great when I get someone out of debt for me for the gigs. I'm like, oh yeah, and you're doing lights as well, and they're just uh, like, what? Yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> but they get the hang of it. They just it's just pressing buttons. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's that's kind of you as well. You've made it. Yeah, I've made it. As, well. I've tried to make it as as idiot proof as possible. Yeah. Not seen. So, so, <laughs> not saying sound guys are idiots. Sorry, guys. I just meant in terms of doing lights, it's a completely uh, different. Yeah, thing, absolutely. You know? yeah, it's a yeah, different so, language. Yeah. So then, obviously, you've you've got everything set up for the, the gig. Everything's good mm-hmm. to go. But then you realise, or someone from the venue comes up and says, "Wait a minute. Um, just to let you know, there's a sound limiter." Yeah, just pack everything up and go home. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yep. I'd like to do. But Done. Yep. I, 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 we're kind of working around sound limiters a bit better now because you've got all sorts of tech, like TM6. Mm-hmm. Silent Strokes when Jamie the drummer um, we did a gig recently where it was all Silent Stroke heads TM6 and just regular cymbals and, and, and that's controllable and it sounds good you yeah. know it does sound like a proper drum kit it looks like a drum kit on the stage as yeah. well but um, that's that's the only way we've kind of found to do it even the, the, thing, the issue I've got with sound limits is that it's they're actually measuring the sound in the room rather than outside the room yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think these things should be measuring the sound level out with the room. Absolutely. Yeah. To have yeah, a microphone totally. right above the dance floor measuring like maximum eighty five decibels, which this is probably yeah. not far off eighty five decibels yeah. of sitting in here talking. It's just unworkable all yeah, the time. I, I you will never get a drum kit to be that quiet. Yeah, take your without any hits eighty five yeah. dB or something crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Know, with so. without it completely losing all kind of energy, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It's a much. It's much more controllable when you. I mean, speakers. I've got a really directional anyway, which is good. Mm-hmm. So as long as you don't have that much kind of like acoustic noise, mm-hmm. you can you can focus it right on the dance floor and make it loud on the dance floor, but quiet out with the room. Yeah. But if you've got someone playing drums and and, and as just as they would as normal, not even battering hell out it or anything like yeah. that. It's just, it's going to be too loud for the room. It's going to be too loud for the limit. And then, because it's all digital gear and lights and all that, as soon as it cuts off, yeah, you'll need to wait it. 10 minutes and the light's heating up again to come yeah. back on. You need to wait in the desk, reboot and hope it's not knackered, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, so, that's it. Because that can happen so easily. And it's, it's becoming more and more of a thing, so we're, we're just having to adapt to it, you know? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of folk are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've done some pretty horrendous gigs, man, where mm-hmm. uh, you actually end up, just the soul leaves your body mm. halfway through the gig because yeah. you just can't do it. I mean, I had, I had for the longest time worked with my wife as well, and you vocalists can actually sing above a limiter. Mm. Yeah. She's having to control her breath in a completely different way and has different sort of concerns than than all we have to do is hit them quieter or yeah. or, or make them electronic. Mm. You know, we don't have to worry about anything past that because after that, it's out of our control. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a volume switch on it or if there's someone to do it. You know, we just hit them. That's it. Yeah. You know, but singers have got and, and sound engineers have got a hellish time, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the strangest thing though when you've got everything like the electronic drums, everything's decayed, so there's no, there's everyone's on in ears, no monitors, yeah. and you just turn the volume down. It's just the weirdest thing, you yeah. know. Yeah. All you hear is a bit of singing yeah. and some like light hitting in the drums, yeah. like footsteps on the stage and stuff. You can yeah. hear all that stuff. You know? But then it is kind of different because it's a different way of mixing as well because you're basically mixing it almost like a record mm. pretty much rather than just fighting the room mm. so it is good in that respect as well you know you Does can it, make it sound really I good I would assume then you get more headroom yeah totally yeah, aye. Aye. yeah. but everything is a lot quieter yeah because you're not fighting against anything yeah I don't know that symbols sit out with the frequency usually of on Sim- a limiter, depending yeah. on a limiter, I think. Symbols don't seem to trigger limiters, yeah. so we, we tried like the electronic symbols and all that, but they just never sounded right. Yeah. They never sounded genuine, you know. Yeah. So that's why we always we just did it with the, the triggers, kicks in the air, a couple of toms, mm-hmm. and then just normal symbols, and it, it seems to work. It seems to get. Yeah. Away, you, you showed know. me the video, and it like because you showed me the video mm. for people who aren't aware. The video basically went from the drummer's perspective, where you could hear real symbols but just mesh heads. And when Gordon walked out from again from in front of the PA, you wouldn't have been able to tell. Yeah. And yeah. you showed me a bit of a song as well, and it just mm. was absolutely seamless. You wouldn't yeah. have been able to tell. Yeah, th- some of the digital sounds created now, both for drums and guitar, are outrageous. Mm. Yeah. You know, our guitarist uses a Kemper, and those yeah. things are like. Those are amazing, those things. They're amp profilers. You can download any Van Halen's amp if you want, and it sounds legit. And it sounds <laughs> like that, yeah. yeah. So do you have a, a, a sort of live miking process 
is it are you you know some drummers get really OCD about how they set things up? Have you got a similar idea where it has to be certain mics done first, or, the, or the, and is there a process a mixing um, process if you're doing a full kit? You know, um, not necessarily. No, I just I like everything to be as discreet as possible. So like for right. the mics and the toms, it's like the wee beta ninety eight mics, which is the wee gooseneck ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were doing Chris Coleman. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. and um, I clamped all the mics onto the drums and stuff and what have you. But the way I do it is, it's quite, it's quite a long gooseneck, so I don't know if you can imagine it's quite kind of long like this. Mm-hmm. So most folk would just clamp on the top rim and just have it kind of like yeah, yeah looped yeah. back, so it looks yeah, a bit yeah. kind of silly. But I always clamp them on the bottom and run yeah. it up. Chris Cohen, the kind of I was delighted. Yeah, yeah. He, 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 I actually thought he was going to like slate me for doing it at first because like who rigged this kid up? Uh-huh. You know, I'm like oh. Okay. Right. Yeah, because I came shoot my hand and all that. I caught that on video and yeah. I, I, I stopped filming just when he went, Oh my god, who make the toms? <laughs> and I thought, I'm gonna turn this off in case like this, <laughs> this doesn't go well and then thankfully caught the rest of it just uh, cheering. But yeah, just the stuff like that, um try to keep everything as discreet as possible. I'll everything all the mics I've got are clip ons, even the overheads, so I actually stick them under the cymbals right, yeah. and clap them on the stands. Just for for easy easy setup yeah. most of the time. Plus, um, it saves extra mic stands and all over yeah. the top and all that. And you, it sounds pretty good. I think if you were recording it and doing it really, really well and stuff, you would want overheads. But but generally as well, you get kind of a bit less spillage from the drums. Yeah, and he does well. that. I remember seeing, when yeah. we went to see LTA, I was like, I can't see his overheads at all. And mm-hmm. speaking to me, he was like, yeah, they just clip on the stand. And yeah, it works pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, so. Kind of principally the same way that the EAD works. Yeah, and mic'd out. Um, do you have even like a hierarchy of, of how you run it through the desk? It's just a typical channel one bass drum, kick mic, this kicks, kick in, kick out. So there's two mics usually right. on the kick, beat a 91 inside and an Audix D6 outside. Um, so they're always first. And then we run top and bottom snare mic as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Why not? But do you know, it does, it makes such a difference, especially in Ineas uh, and Jamie McGorry, drummer as well. He notices that. He, and I actually find as well out front, I use more bottom snare mic than top snare. Oh, right. Really? Yeah, oh, wow. I just because just click it, you get a bit more snare noise from it. That's right. It. You know, yeah. it's just it's just a, a weird thing that I've ended up doing. You know, I don't know why. I just mm. prefer the, the sound from it, you know. Um, and I think in ears as well, Jamie's quite, he's got them kind of really well balanced. Right. As well. Cause if you think about it, if you're close mic in the top, you're not really getting much of the snare from yeah, the bottom. So it can be thin yeah, so you, that's where you can get a lot of ring from the snare as well. But right. if you kind of fat that up with the bottom, it, it works pretty well. Um, toms is just usually, uh, usually only two couple of toms anyway. Mm. So you're just mic'd up with the 98s and gated essentially, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, just to kind of keep the, the noise flow down as best as possible. Mm-hmm. And then under uh, underheads, as I call them. <laughs> um, just the C, uh, EKG C391Bs are the line audio ones that you use. Oh, yeah, well, they're great, man. Which are excellent. For like yeah, 90 quid or something. Yeah. Plastic things, but they sound great, you know, so. I think we even used them for like the first few episodes of the podcast as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. Those yeah, little yeah. ones. CM1s. Like, CM3s. CM3s, they're CM3s. a Swedish company, aren't they? Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah the quality is amazing. Use them most, and then I, I make uh, we started putting a mic on the hi hat now as well. Right. So it's basically just in line. The first eight channels of the desk are always drums. So there's another couple of extra channels when Jamie brings some extra drums, <laughs> which I've never, I don't really kind of fish in. So they end, they end up on channels further down, but they hardly ever get used. Yeah. So did he not bring his like ten piece of Vista light? He did yeah. once. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that. yeah. I think I've got a video of that. Yeah, Brilliant. that was. That was it took a long time to make up. <laughs> Th- thankfully, it wasn't a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have 45 minutes to set uh, up. So yeah. Total riser to himself, just for drums. Yeah. Did yeah. sound good, though. So, yeah. I bet. Yeah. Where are we? That's amazing. Where are we? Um, so, you've done, what, 90% of the clinics? Yeah, probably. You engineered yeah. about 90% of the clinics. Do you yeah. have a favourite? Uh, I do, yeah. Um, there's a few that I... I, I Really enjoyed doing like Steve White, the very first one we did in the old shop, oh, the old yeah. old shop. Yeah, b- b- before we before we in. moved in, yeah, I, and I there, was, that. there was a kind of and it was a Mapex night, wasn't it? He was playing, yeah, he was playing Mapex yeah. It was, there was a kind of element of kind of is anyone going to come and ch- kick us out of here, kind of thing, you know? Oh man! But um, no, it, that was that was great. It, I think it, just in terms of because it was kind of empty room and all that, and it, it, it sounded kind of really good. I don't th- I don't think I'd done many before that, so I think right. for me that was quite a good kind of. 
baptism to get into it and that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Plus, loads of drummers in the room, you know. Everyone's got an opinion on how the drums should sure, sound. Yeah. No one criticised me afterwards, so oh. I was quite pleased with that. My favourite, though, I think, has got to be Todd Zuckerman. Yeah, Zuckerman. Zuckerman, Zuckerman I, I think that's probably a, a consensus among the staff yeah. that were there that it's probably been the best clinic yeah. we've ever held. I, I think as well, just until it was in the, the Hard Rock Cafe, I think mm-hmm. it was. That's right. Big kit, so Hunters of Mics mm-hmm. had to buy extra mics to actually make up his wow. kit, which was incredible. But I think it sounded really good, and Todd was dead happy. And yeah, I mean, it, oh, it's going to so, help that these guys can play. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah and it just helped. He gave me a hand to help him sit and put the mic here, put the, do this. That, yeah. uh, you know. So that was that was a good one. That uh, does it help when those guys favorite. are really direct? Yeah, uh-huh. I think so. I think when they know what they want, aye, that's what I'm trying. And to say. they've got a specific thing they want to do, and and that that makes it so much easier for yeah. me rather than me going, "Do you mind if I put aye. this here or yeah. whatever?" Yeah. You know, and kind of you're getting in the way and stuff and all that. But but no, he, he was he was great and couldn't have been nicer. So. Yeah, I mean he's 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 toured the he's, world playing yeah. all sorts of rooms, eh? So he, he he will know what it's like when we have an hour to do it. Mm-hmm. We ha- he's not messing around man we've yeah. got an hour you know so right well let's get, let's, it, done. Let's get it done you know? yeah. most challenging I think probably Chris Coleman <laughs> really yeah. yeah which one uh, well I didn't do the first one right. it was, well actually I was involved in the first one because there was uh, we were kind of we were kind of stretched as to the amount of gear we actually had <laughs> Uh, and uh, there was a bit of a mix-up in terms of what he needed, so that was that was kind of hands-on. Uh, Pal Jerry did that when he was doing mm. the first uh, oh, that's right, Glasgow Drum Show. Aye. But the last one there we did at, at, the, the, at the Glasgow Uni, yeah, that was just I think just because everyone was kind of running late and mm. not our fault, incidentally. Yeah. But, um, I think just to try and get everything set up the way you wanted it and all mm. that as well. Um, and obviously the pressure of all the folks at the outside that was that yeah, was tough. Right. But God, I've forgotten all about that actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it was a great night, and it, it, it went on for hours. Aye, it did, yeah, it did. I yeah. very much became a loving at one point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony got up and played. That's right, yeah. That's right, yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. He brought the bass out and, and got people up to yeah. play. He was, right. just, he was just loving it. He was, ah, he was amazing. Yeah. So. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it must be daunting when a guy's present like nine drums and 40 cymbals, at, you know, to get done like pronto. Yeah. You know, that I, I don't know what I, if I could hack it. So I remember even. When we did Mike Johnston, mm. uh, we ended up using my mixer that, for yeah, that, but so, I, yeah. and I sort of pushed faders up and down every so often. But it's really daunting, man. Like these these guys are, are proper pros. They're not. Yeah, it's not down the dog and duck, and you set your VPA up and you play some songs, man. These guys yeah. have got. Yeah. Like, like world experience Chris as well has got a very specific way he wants his monitors he wants separate feeds of separate drums right. and tracks and stuff and he needs it in a certain way that that works for him because he's done so many clinics and they've basically made a, a pig's ear of yeah, it and yeah. it sounded horrendous and he's in ears and he, so he's got to set where he wants it and to try and to set that up is it can be t- it can be tough you're mm. trying to repatch yeah. things and all sorts of stuff I mean, he had that with heads as well he wouldn't let anybody yeah, head the kit right, because yeah. somebody overstretched the heads at a clinic he'd done and mm-hmm. so his drum sounded awful the whole night you know mm-hmm. so um he's got to do it all top yeah. and bottom you know and if it <clears throat> if the heads turn up late yeah then that's your back against the wall right away yeah and his kit sounded great that night and i think the toms especially yeah like when they were mic'd up and everything i'm just like wow that, that is incredible you yeah know, that's so. that performance is what sold me on that kit there you go so there you go. And also your your fine sound engineering work <laughs> also as well. Sold it. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Um so how do yeah. you how do you deal with that then? If he, if for example with Chris Coleman mm-hmm. he's got a specific way he wants things done, like how do you even where do you even start with that? How do you even process all yeah, that? It helps to get the rider and get the actual tech spec they need. Right. And then from that you can just kinda you can then go because it's a digital mixing desk and that as well, you can actually go and set it up. Mm-hmm. In advance, you can like have all the you can get all the kind of channels already preset, mm-hmm. so you know exactly where you're plugging everything in. You know where everything's got to come out, mm-hmm. so you can kind of work away and do all that kind of rooting stuff to start with. But then, like I think Chris Coleman he had a specific mic he, he wanted to use, which was his own stuff, mm-hmm. and that yeah, because he used a radio. Yeah, mic. ended up that was a different connector and stuff. So mm-hmm. you're running about trying to find things to to be able to plug it in. We got it working. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't perfect, but we got it working. Um, so there's always going to be stuff like that at the last minute that kind of yeah, but is there not a rider issue as well or something? We get his old rider sent, owner sent to the, uh, the wrong rider. Yeah, do you remember? there was something like that. So we well, with the back against the wall right away because yeah. we were on the we were on the back foot because we didn't know, mm-hmm. you know, so you couldn't prep for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always helps to get the right 
take really. yeah, <laughs> as well. Yep. But yeah, you can do so much preparation in advance now, so that's 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 the benefit of digital desk, yeah. I suppose. That's at least the first hurdle to deal with. Yeah. 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 And then it's just kind of working it out on the night, essentially, you know. Yeah. There's always going to be other stuff that you can't prepare for. Yeah. You know, and it just helps to, to just be, like, on the ball, and if they want something, just make sure they get it. That's mm-hmm. it, you know. Is that a thing... Of like when the crowd comes in, the sound changes. Of a ro- the sound of a room changes. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So like, like, you lose top end, you lose bottom end. If you if you imagine like, if if the room's full of bodies, then it's it's kind of yeah. It just it, it, it's not so much specifically top end or bottom end. Right. It's just it, it, the sound moves. In yeah. A different way. It, it just I'm, I'm trying to think the best way to explain it. It's more dense, so right. like you're getting less ring from the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds maybe it's slightly quieter. You always end up having to crank it right. slightly more. Um, I wouldn't say I would put any more top end or anything like that. I think generally just when you've actually got more folk in the room, it actually makes things sound better. Right. You know, because it's because it's denser. The, the the more more fabric, the more mass you have in the room. Yeah, yeah. Then it, it does help. You it know, seems so. odd then that we kind of um, sound check in empty rooms. Yeah, I know. You it's know, very weird. And then fill it with two hundred people. We, I, I was, I used to play in a band that um, did some basic touring and stuff and all that. And there was one venue down, I think it was in Manchester, where the engineer was like, "Going to start with the singing," and they got he got the vocalists up first, and sound checked them, and then left the mics on, all the way through the rest of the sound check, purely because. He can then control and see what's coming through the the oh, vocal mics. Yeah. Oh. So like they were always on during these sound checks. So he then he could compensate for the drums, bass, guitar, all that kind of stuff, and how it's going to sound coming through the vocal mics. Because you, you never think about that. No, yeah. the vocal mics are picking up everything on stage yeah. all the time. You know, it's very you can't really gate a vocal mic without no. it sounding really unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was and I was kind of like, oh, that's that's, that's new. Mind blown a little bit, you know. I was kind of yeah, like, yeah. that's. That's a, that's, that actually makes so much sense to be able to do that, you know. Do you so. ever use things like boundary mics for in-ears? We, we have tried them, yeah. It's it's difficult to get it in a position whereby it's so far enough away from the speakers and all that because mm. of, of the smaller venues and stuff mm. like that. Generally, the guys don't really need it, you know. Right. They don't pick up a massive amount of crowd noise. Right. Anyway, you know, most of the time it's going to be just folk dancing. Yeah. And... and and bouncing off the, the ground, that kind of thing, you know. So, <laughs> you don't get an awful lot of cheering and and all that kind of stuff at a wedding. You do a wee bit, but but Depends no, they, on how drunk they are, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I, I don't think they really kind of need them. I think like because they're close enough to the crowd anyway. The vocal mics and the overheads and all that are picking it up yeah, a lot yeah. of the time anyway. We have done it though, and it's it has made a, a a bit of a difference. Yeah. But I think you really need to kind of push them to kind of. Well, the more you push them, the more you're going to get the sound of the room plus yeah, yeah. the PA and all that as well. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Paul tells me mm-hmm. that you're kind of renowned for having the tidiest stage on the planet. <laughs> you know, right? So, you think? <laughs> yeah. According to Paul, so I've not even told you about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah, this is this is. I have prepped something. It's news to me as well. All right. <laughs> yeah, prepped something. We've got. We've got oh, oh. No. <laughs> So this, this for those who aren't watching, I've just produced an XLR cable that is in a sorry state. And it's one of mine as well. Can you show us the correct way to wind one of these up? Because the, the, there's different methods and, and, and ways to do this. Um, I got crucified on a gig with Gordon for doing it the wrong way one night. And it, to be fair, it wasn't Gordon that crucified me. It, it was Nicola. You know what? This might actually be too far is it gone. too long? I did try and find a smaller one. The, but the, way, they, the way I generally do it is kind of the accepted yeah, method. what you do is you kind of you kind of twist it as you as you put it round. Right. So you're you're kind of twisting it with your 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 thumb and your forefinger there, each time you do it. Oh, and okay. it creates a perfect loop. Yeah. Pretty much. I try and get it. It's, it's, I don't know if you can see that there. <laughs> so so you're not getting it. You look at how twisted this 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 cable is. I mean, inside there, look at that. That's the internal wiring's all twisted inside that. Oh, see, now oh. I feel... Well, yeah. I, I haven't put that together. Someone else has done that with my gear. Thanks, guys. There is another <laughs> method, though, which um, involves doing it that way. Oh, the, the, the overhander. The over... It's like, you still twist it, but then you do like an underhand thing. 
your cable's rubbish because yeah. So. <laughs> yeah my pal Jerry taught me that one so that when you actually drop it it just comes right out and it's not getting twisted at all I did the one of the first gigs I ever did with Gordon I did the, the really bad round the elbow, elbow thing and um, the singer Nicola went mental at me yeah, um, yeah. that's like a that's like a no-no for everyone who is, yeah, is cable do not cable it around your elbow and wrist yeah. It's yeah. not. It was, it's actually to the point now they teach this stuff in college. I got well, taught how to do this. So did I. And if, see, if we did it wrong, we we were they, they threw it all back on the floor and made us get it again. <laughs> Gordon just threw it on the floor. Um, what was I going to ask you? Aye, there's a um, difference of drums in different rooms. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's considered enough by drummers? Do you think it's something they think about how their drums will behave in different rooms? And how do you have to cope with that as an engineer? I think it's something they they do have to think about. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're if you're playing, if you're playing drums in a massive, big, empty room, like a big church or something like that, which is designed to amplify the, everything, make mm-hmm. everything louder. As soon as you hit the snare and you've got like a I don't know a four second reverb or something like that, <laughs> it's it, it doesn't make sense to batter hell at the drums because mm. you don't need to no. for a start. You, mm-hmm. you can you can hit them a bit quieter and it'll still carry. Um, stuff like that as well and if it's in a very very small room yeah obviously you have to play quieter because if you don't the, the, the louder you hit the drums just the louder everything has to be even to things it like ends up um, just, the way yeah. they play like uh-huh. if you're in a if you've got a four second reverb and guys mm. are still trying to play all their ghost notes yeah that's yeah, just going to be awful completely lost yeah aye and, and if you put a mic on that it's going to sound Minging. It's, it's. I can't mm-hmm. imagine it's going to sound very nice at no, all. Really, you wouldn't even have the mic going through the PA. I don't yeah. think in that situation. No. It's off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, it's a funny thing yeah. because yeah. I remember talking to Paul years ago when he when he, he played. I think he played at Stirling Castle and mm-hmm. having to sound check when there was a four second delay to get to the sound engineer. Yeah. You just can't go up and play the drums the same way you would normally. You have to let the sound get to the guy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that. I, I, that kind of, I've never had to think about it like mm-hmm. that before. I've never had yeah. to think about hit like soundtracking, soundtracking, sound yeah. checking the drums like that. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I, I, I also had the same experience because I'd done a lot of playing in studios mm-hmm. where it's just like, or I was just told, I guess, a combination of playing in studios and how I was taught was to just hit the drums hard to get a good sound out of it. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was poorly taught. I don't know, but to get that out of that mindset in a very small room like you're saying mm-hmm. like it's it's quite I found it really difficult at first because mm-hmm. you just you don't realise you're just playing the drums how you've been taught mm-hmm. to play the drums not realising that you're actually overpowering everything because you think oh the louder I hit these drums the better everything's going to sound mm-hmm. but obviously mm-hmm. that's not the case because you're actually making things sound worse because you're playing too loud it's dynamics as well though you, you have to be able to play it it's, it's just tickling the drums or playing with rods and that isn't isn't the solution you know because <laughs> it's just going to sound weak and that mm. is just try to play it but still have a bit of groove and a bit of like like have it still sounding the same but just quieter mm-hmm. and it's a really it's a difficult thing to do it's, yeah. it's not it's not easy you know but I'll, some drummers are just like full on oh it's, it's all this is how i play this is it this is mm-hmm. this, this is get, this is what right? you get sort of thing you know which is fine that's that's just the way it is but i think to to work with it yeah when when you're in a uh, when you're in a kind of a wedding situation or something like that when it's you're in a small room you have to think about it Uh, ross priory or something yeah basically a living room yeah Yeah. Uh Yeah. and then if you've got a sound limit as well and you're just completely done yeah Uh, um do drummers overplay all the time is it like from from, (laughs) I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you this from a bass playing point of view now and I'm generalising. I would say they will play more than bass players. Right, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. So yeah. I guess what I get is generally as a bass player, simpler the better. Yeah. I, I, well, that's that personally that's what I would say. Yeah. I, I, I don't tend to try and embellish too much. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't. You need to. You know. Yeah. I think you just want a kind of fundamental foundation. Foundation to build on. That's mm. it. You know. Um, Drummers, they, 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 I think drummers get bored quite easily. <laughs> I mean, they're basically just... We are simple creatures. <laughs> you're, you're, you're playing the same rhythm pretty much for most of the song, you know. You're going to want to do something to kind yeah. of keep yourself alert and stuff, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. If it's like total, like, overplaying all the way through the song, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that's way too much. Yeah. Down. Down. Yeah. But you've got to keep it, you got to keep it uh, it's enjoyable for yourself as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny thing. Yeah, it's a funny thing because uh, brown-eyed girl for the fifth time this week is mm-hmm. it's not going to be exciting, is it? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I've been guilty of that for 
ever. <laughs> yeah. We all are. We aye, all but like, are, the secret to that is run the band. All right. <laughs> Nobody's going to tell the boss off. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we tell the boss off. Sound guy will tell you. <laughs> yeah. um, if you could engineer any band, like who would any you engineer? Band. Oh, wow, McQueen, I think. Ah, yeah. yeah okay. I, I had a feeling that was going to be an idea. I thought yeah. it was actually going to be Radiohead. Mm. You know what? Radiohead, I think, would be a tough, tough gig for an engineer. <laughs> I mean, they've got so much stuff. Two drummers now as well. Yeah, that's right. I Clyde Beamer plays. Clyde, yeah, that would be hard work. Yeah. Yeah. We I, are agreed yeah. that it's still the best sounding gig, I think. That was. Glasgow, Glasgow Green yeah. Radioheads. What year was it? 2000, I think, or 2001. It was the uh, Kid yeah, A tour. It, was just, it, just, it literally sounds like you'd listen to hi fi. Like a big loud high finding. It sounds incredible. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. No idea how they did that. But yeah, that wasn't that was that was pretty special. Um no definitely Queen. Um I, I, I like Toto as well. I think really? live sound for them is pretty good as well, you know. They're one of the, another one of the best sounding bands I've heard. Again, they're a pretty big setup, you know, yeah, percussion yeah. and all sorts of stuff. So that would be oh, quite I mean, a I've never seen them, so but yeah, they definitely um Queen, although I think if it was a small venue and it was Brian May with his amps <laughs> up full, you, you've got a <laughs> tough like night ahead. AC30s, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I went to see Brian May when he was doing his solo stuff at the Royal Concert Hall. And it was when he had... Uh, it was uh, Cozy Pill had died. I can't remember who it was playing drums at the time. But um, the sound... The, the tech came on to sound check his guitar, and I kid you not, it was the loudest <laughs> thing wow. I've ever heard. And it wasn't even through the PA event, it was wow. just literally his guitar. I had like 12 East Fox AC30 set up. Guy just came on, strummed a chord, and you're like, oh my god. Whoa. Yeah, I used to play with a guy who played yeah. with an AC30, and it's literally the loudest amp on the planet. Because yeah. it, it doesn't work if it's not loud. Yeah. The point of those amps, because they're valve amps, mm-hmm. is they're just. Yeah, the Darkness played them, but they put them under the stage. Hmm. Oh, smart. And mic them from under the stage because they're just too loud, man. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. must have been horrendous. Mm-hmm. Imagine being no, the I mean, guy. I mean, it sounded incredible. They had a massive PA and all that, you know, yeah. so it was like, yes, yes. amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it was, that was loud. Because we, I think just because of where we were sitting as well, we were basically facing them straight on. Oh, head on. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed it, you know. I still, <laughs> yeah. like even still impaired to this day. Just, he's, he plays with a five-pence piece as well, doesn't he? It's like a, a, Does a, he, a, really? A oh, okay. or something ah, like like an, old, yeah. an old, yeah. uh, an old five-p or something. That's yeah. why he's, that's where his tone comes from. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. That makes so much sense. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, what's the best way to phrase this question? <laughs> you, obviously, you and Chris go way back. So, Chris perhaps knows the story of how I, I, I hate I don't like this phrase, but it's the only phrase I can think of. Like how a bass player ends up working in a drum <laughs> shop. I actually don't know this story. Do you not know this no, story? Really? I thought no, you would have known this story. Came to work one day and Gordon was here. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So how does how does um, how does Gordon come to work in a drum shop? Yeah, well, I used to work in McCormack's Music in Glasgow. Oh right, okay, right. Back in the day. R.I.P. Yes, sadly. Oh. Um, uh, and I, I think, I, yeah, Paul worked there at the same time. It was kind of a weird crossover thing. I did my work experience there when I was like thirteen years old. Wow. And Paul was working full time in the shop at that point, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he'd only he hadn't been there for very long. Um, so he was there kind of full time. I went and did work experience, and then ended up going back I ended up getting asked to go and work there essentially at weekends um, which I did and I was like yes brilliant you know mm-hmm. um, and then Paul was still full time I was kind of part time but by the time I ended up working full time Paul had gone part time Oh, so yeah we both we both kind of worked there at the same time but there was a kind of crossover point and stuff and what have you um, so I was there for, for years and years I think I was there for about 12 years or something like that McCormack's wow. and what I did there was essentially and originally working the shop floor, selling everything, you know, guitars, yeah. keyboards. Because he did sell literally everything. Yeah, like... sheet music, occasionally drums and that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, and then from that, ended up kind of working in the education department where you were selling to schools. And so again, oh, that was okay. everything from weird percussion instruments to timpanis, all sorts of right. stuff, brass, yeah. woodwind, all that kind of thing. So I did that, and then this was this was pre-internet. Obviously, you know <laughs> that, that was a, that was Just a thing. For you know, cash. Yeah. This, this is back in the dial-up days as well. You know, so yeah, I ended up because I was because I had a computer essentially. <laughs> yeah, God knows a bit about web and all that, you know. So I ended up Brilliant. that was me. I ended up like setting up websites for them. It, it started up the the internet department as it was called back then. <laughs> so yeah, that it, it took off and what have you and. Um, so yeah, I did didn't you run the warehouse as well? Yeah, well that was that was kind of it was education and internet was right. kind of combined. 
so yeah, ran the warehouse and stuff. Um, yeah, it just it just went from there. So I did that for for years. Uh, I left briefly to go and do web design and like video production, and all that kind of stuff. So I did that self-employed for a few years, and then um, uh, I got I can't, I can't can't remember how it came about. I it was it, certainly it was after. Um, I'd been in to see you and you did the depth thing for the band and stuff like yeah. that. Paul kind of contacted me out of the blue. Like 08? Yeah, something like that. I can't remember, how long have I been here? Since 08. Since 08, yeah. So yeah, yeah it must have been around then. He just got, got a new website set up. And I remember that. I remember yeah. it and we were paying like yeah, way over the odds yeah. for it to be maintained. Yeah. And um, uh, initially it was just coming in a couple of days a week to help it put listens on the website and stuff and what have you. Mm. So came in, did that, that was fine. Um, and as you just end up getting more and more involved, <laughs> found out how much Paul was spending the website. I was like, no, we can't do that. <laughs> and it just it just spiralled from there. Ended up full-time, mm. ended up well, selling as well, mm -hmm, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just gone from there and there. And eventually I took over the website and that's it's just evolved from there. Um, so now I'm mostly kind of working behind the scenes, mm -hmm. looking after a, a, the ePost system, website, mm -hmm. packing boxes, anything, you know, <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much any side of it, you know. So, so customers probably won't really, or anybody that's not really worked in a drum shop won't mm -hmm. really know, but what's the biggest challenge of running a website for a drum shop? For a, for a website for a drum shop? Like, um is it just things like the sheer volume of stock, things like spares? Yeah, stuff it's it's a very it's a strange because it's we are very bespoke in what we do. Like we do a lot of second hand, mm -hmm. we do like so many lines of new stuff and things like that. We've got two branches as well. Yeah, yeah. So try to get actually get a website that can incorporate all that, have like real time stock levels. Yeah. Like integrates with stock feeds from suppliers and all that. There's a lot to it. It's not just like... Integrates you know, with social media. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. It's, you can't just kind of go online, download a bit of software that does it all. Yeah, it yeah. just does it. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot that happens on the website that you, you would never know about or yeah, think about. Yeah. Well, even things like... Yeah. You and me, I have been up in the office before and like I'll mm -hmm. turn around and you spent... The majority of your day has been spent just getting the site faster. Mm. You know, like... Yeah. And it's like Things like that, as a customer, you wouldn't even think about. Yeah. You know, at least I certainly wouldn't think about that kind of stuff. But like, you know, it makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. What's amazing is it's done here. Yeah, I st that still is like the greatest thing because there's not twelve guys sitting in an office in Hillington mm -hmm. that don't know anything about what we're doing. Yeah, you know, I don't think we could run it that way anymore. No. I think we, we the, it, the internet's made everything move too quickly. Yeah, it needs to happen like now. I mean, we would wait two or three days to get changes done yeah. in the past, you know, and you can do changes in yeah. five minutes. Yeah, mm -hmm. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Depends how ridiculous the changes Paul wants are. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have this uh, thing whereby Paul says, can we try this, can we do that? And it's some some scheme to do something with the website. So I've, I've then got to try and think, right, okay, how do we do that, you know, and and then I think Paul in his head thinks I just like flick a switch <laughs> when, it, when it does but yeah I'll be like oh you know send it to the internet and, and it's like I can, it's like Cobra Kai when it's <laughs> like that yeah send it to the internet so it's, it's kind of like I always I don't know I always just kind of think of how how can we do this as quickly as possible but make sure it actually works uh -huh. you know it's not like um, it's not like just flick a switch you know so yeah, yeah. Um, I so many times I'll be like, you know, that's quite a tough thing to do, you know, I'll go yeah, through yeah. all the, the stuff. And then like 10 minutes later, I'm like, right, so I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul now has this thing whereby he thinks I just over-exaggerate everything right. all the time. <laughs> so when he asks me to do something that's going to take like a week for me to do, um, if he gets it back within a day, he's quite happy. So, yeah. Um, what's the weirdest thing about being a bass player in a drum shop? Uh, it's, 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 it's not it's not a weird thing, but you know, obviously, I used to work in the shop floor, and I, I do know a lot about. I like to think I know a oh, lot I about drums. You know, I've been around them for so long, even prior to being here and what have you. You know, and I, I do feel as though I have a lot of knowledge I can impart to folk. Yeah. But it's always that question: What do you play yourself? Aye. That always gets me. And I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> PlayStation should be your answer. <laughs> I'm like, found out again. Like, I'm not actually a drummer. You're not a drummer, and then it's the whole. Oh, what are you doing in the drum shop? I'm like, oh man. <laughs> if I had a pound for every time I had that conversation with a drummer, paid your mortgage, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that, no, other than that, I mean, everyone kind of. 
there's a bit of synergy when you see you're a bass player. You know, oh right, okay. Yeah. And then they think, is that wh- is that where rhythm and bass comes from? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, no, it's not, and it's not now. rhythm and bass. Yeah, that was back in the day. That's why Aye. we changed the name because I get fed up with folks saying that sort of Paul. People can't spell rhythm. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's 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 not a bad thing to have someone from a different. If it was just all drummers, you would just all be oh. kind of amplifying your own well, you can, thoughts, you know? What's great is if someone comes in and asks us of a live implication or something, mm. you know about the drums in a different way. You know yeah. it from an engineering yeah, perspective. Totally. Yeah. You know what I mean? so, or even electronics. Yeah. The amount of electronic questions you've, yeah. or, or things you've solved, you know, yeah. how to rig it, you yeah. know, how to rig Fixing monitors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's good to have that, I think. Absolutely, of course. I think it's good as well just to have someone from a different background that can... Yeah. Do you have a favourite brand of kit that you've worked with? Yes. That is a very loaded question. (laughs) No, it's it's, it's a... (laughs) No, because I know where you're going with it. When you you say favourite, you mean the best sounding kit. Well, what is your favourite kit that you engineered? Um, Sona, uh, all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Sona, um, SQ2, or even SQ1, like Chris Coleman's kit sound amazing. But as well as that, Peril as well, the sort of high-end reference... Masterwork stuff as well is always sounding incredible. The best sound bass drum I've ever heard was a Pearl Reference. Right. 22 inch bass drum. It was a red thing that we had at the old the old shop. Um, and it just, every t- I don't know, it's just the way it was tuned or whatever. When you had it, it just. It was a bass drum. Yeah. yeah. It just had that, that sound that to sounds. it, you know. Todd Zuckerman's kit sounded incredible, you know. I think it's just anything that's really, really well set up, tuned well, and that's it, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, can you qualify that? What mm-hmm. makes it for you? Yeah, I don't. F- I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I've I've had other kits as well. It sounds mm-hmm. sound great, you know. Um, Jamie had a Craviota kit for years, yeah. which sounded incredible. But it was the loudest kit in the world, really. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously steam bent shelves and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So yeah. sort of untamable. And it was weird. I always I always thought this is, this just seems really really loud. But then other drummers would come in and play it as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, they would be like, this is this is louder. Right. And you, d- you didn't notice it at first, but yeah, it just just there. Uh, just so much louder. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think just uh, just I, I wouldn't say any particular chill composition or anything like that because yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't go into that kind of depth of it. But just like a well-made kit with good heads and tuned well right. is always going to sound enough. good. You know? Here's one: Do you have a preference of modern versus vintage drums? Have you worked? Because Jamie likes his vintage drums mm-hmm. as well, doesn't he? So I'd imagine you've 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 sort of rigged some vintage kits in your time. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, he's he's got like a I think it's a a, a, a great USA custom from like a great from the seventies that kind of thing. He's got a slinger thing as well. Yeah, sl- the slinger. He's got a it's a floor tom he's cut down to like a big deep oh, yeah, slinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds incredible. Right. It's just he's never. I don't think he's ever tried to retune it because it's just set so perfectly. Right. It's just a big fat. Right, snare sound. It's like, mm-hmm. like you couldn't, you couldn't do any kind of rolls on it. Yeah, like on it's basically yeah. a side snare, mm-hmm. but that just sounds incredible. That you know, he's got some acrylate stuff as well. Mm-hmm. He's got some old snare drums yeah. that he likes as well. Yeah, um, I think it's a Birch Custom. Is it a Beach Custom? I think he's got. Uh, he's got a Beach Custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah which sounds great, and it's just it's compact. It's like twenty two sixteen. Twenty two sixteen. Yeah, and th- I think thirteen sixteen is it. Uh, he, I mean, he's got all the toms for yeah, that kit. I I think think I can't, he changes it about all the time. 16, but, um, yeah. <laughs> so he's got, it sounds great as well. Yamaha drums always sound great as well. So. Yeah, just so well made. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't... I, I mean, it's a different sort of, different sort of sound modern to vintage mm. stuff, you yeah. know. Uh, vintage, you just tend to... Tend to a bit more woolly sound, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, Quieter. Yeah, mm. definitely. So for kind of like gigs where you, you don't want it to be as loud, mm. that would be the kit to go for, mm. you know. Yeah. But, Cool man. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thanks You're very welcome. welcome. like it's always an education talking yeah. about this stuff for you. Oh, it's great because like I'm still Thanks. clueless with it all, you know. Um, so I, um, you don't really do the social media thing, do you? So much. Not so much. And no. Then um, like you don't have an engineering <laughs> or a, a live sound. No, I don't page know. Where you people can go and probably look at the band page. It's yeah. Killer City Sound, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, um, but. Yeah. If you want to talk to Gordon about all these things, pop it in the shop. Absolutely, yeah. Um, drop him an email. He's mm-hmm. you've answered these questions for people before yeah. on email yeah, loads yeah, of times, yeah. you know. So yeah, yeah, if you have any live sound questions uh, or anything like that, help, um, give us a I'm usually through the yeah. back somewhere in the shop as well, so. <laughs> Making a website fast. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. Um Adam, take us home. So, um obviously you can find us uh, online, www.drummersonly.co.uk. 
Um, we are a physical shop in Glasgow and Leeds. Um, you can find us online uh, on Facebook uh, at Drummers Only UK, YouTube, Instagram. Obviously, subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everyone who listens to the Absolutely. podcast as well. Um, feel free to leave us a nice review. Uh, we prefer five stars up in this house because <laughs> apparently that makes a difference. Um, so yeah, and um, if you've got any inquiries at all, drop us an email info at drummersonly.co.uk. Maybe you want to ask Gordon some tech questions. Yeah, like, yeah, we can. And um, we can see you next time. Take it easy, guys. Thanks very much. Yeah.